This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 16th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder has announced an end, at least temporarily, to what is known as equitable sharing, a federal program that allows local police to profit more directly from assets seized by often innocent property owners. Tim Lynch, director of the Cato Institute's Project on Criminal Justice, offers his thoughts. Eric Holder's announcement today says that he's going to bar federal law enforcement agencies from adopting civil asset forfeiture seizures from state and local police. Uh, A lot of people are not aware of this connection between the federal law and what the local police are doing, seizing property at the local level. But it's an important connection and Holder's announcement today is an important step in the direction of reform. But don't you think it's it's fairly limited? I, I, I mean, I think it's it's great news for uh, people who might otherwise be victimized by state and local cops uh, that are just looking for uh, essentially a payday for uh, their local law enforcement agency. Um, but how big of an impact will this really have? It's hard to say. We just got the announcement about an hour ago, so we need to study the details of exactly what the terms of Holder's executive order says. But I don't think that there's any question that this is good news because there's been mounting criticism over the past two or three years about civil forfeiture practices. And the fact that Holder took this action today, I think, is a reflection of that mounting criticism. I hope uh, it's it's not going to preempt uh, legislative reform from the Congress because things do need to go further than what Holder has ordered. But the fact that he's moving in that direction, I think, is very good news for civil asset forfeiture reform. This is a huge PR win for our friends at the Institute for Justice. They've taken undertaken a lot of Uh, legal uh, maneuvering to bring to light these cases where people have been victimized by state and local police who have then brought in the feds to execute a seizure. Um, And uh, they definitely deserve kudos for having brought a lot of that uh, to light. But it's worth noting that pretty much any future AG could undo this. So what may be a short-term PR victory here could be quietly undone in the future. I think that's right. And I think that's why it's important for reformers not to sit back and celebrate, but actually uh, regroup and press further for reform and make sure the Congress, I think, in the next 100 days should be sending civil asset forfeiture reform bills, codifying what Holder has already done, but then even going further and put a bill like this uh, on the desk of President Obama. Because Holder, as we've said, took some steps in the right direction. He doesn't nearly go far enough. And it would be a big mistake just to walk away at this point uh, without pressing Congress to reform its laws. And civil asset forfeiture reform also needs to be reformed at the state and local level. Our, our friends at the, um, you know, in, uh, in the uh, state level should be pressing their state legislatures and governors to move to reform their uh, civil asset forfeiture reforms at the local level as well. This equitable sharing uh, functions basically like this, say state and local government uh, police 
identifies something that they would like to seize. Maybe they don't have sufficient evidence to charge anyone with a crime and then seize those assets as a criminal uh, forfeiture, but they then, because of state laws that may prohibit them from collecting the bulk of those proceeds, then ask a federal agency to uh, adopt, as you said, the, the forfeiture. And then the federal agencies often have a, a deal where they return as much as 80% of that money to the local uh, police agency. That's right. In these forfeiture circles and in law enforcement circles, there's a lot of fight because there's a lot of money at stake and where that money goes. And in some states, the rules are that if the state uh, the police seize property or cash, it goes into the general treasury fund of the state. In other jurisdictions, the police get to keep what they seize. It, it goes right back into the budgets of the police agencies. And some police agencies have become so dependent on this, it's it makes up about 10, 20, sometimes more percent of their own budgets, which leads to distortions in how they're policing. Instead of crime fighting, they're out there trying to raise mon money to, to maintain their budgets. So in some jurisdictions where the states have said, look, police seizures of cash and whatnot go into the general treasury, the police have kind of gone around those rules by going to the federal government and said, look, make adopt our seizure. That way we can get around our state law, and then the feds have this arrangement where, okay, 80% of this will be plowed back to the police agency who in conducted the seizure, and they get to keep those proceeds. So it's a federal, federal equitable sharing has been a way for local police to bypass their own uh, state laws, which is very troubling. More broadly, and uh, for in previous uh, podcasts, I've talked to some folks at IJ, more broadly, this issue of civil asset forfeiture in general. This is just a small portion of that. Civil asset forfeiture is just taking somebody's stuff either before or without charging them with a crime at all. That's right. Uh, to get back to basics, forfeiture in general is about the power of government to take somebody's property. It could be cash. It could be their car, boat, home, or even land. Uh, and there's two types of forfeiture. There's criminal forfeiture, which happens when the government is proceeding through the criminal system. Uh, when somebody has been convicted uh, of a crime, then the police get to seize ill-gotten gains. Uh, what we're talking about is civil asset forfeiture, where the police are able to seize people's property without even having to indict them, without even having to arrest them. They just seize people's property, and uh, and then the burden of proof essentially shifts over to the property owner, where they have to go to court if they are, you know, totally innocent. And this is a uh, 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 they want to go to court and get their car back. They have to basically prove to the satisfaction of the court that they are not engaged in any criminal activity. And we all know how hard it is to fight city hall. And the other problem is that if the police sees, you know, pull people over on the side of a highway and take $100 from a lady's purse and they say, we think this is drug money. If you want it, you know, go to the police department, try to get it back. People are not not going to take a day off of work to go fight for $50. Um, 
or a thousand dollars, depending on the person's circumstances. You know, and if it's a thousand, then they have to hire a lawyer, take time off work to fight. And so the police know this often. They've got people over a barrel, and there's a lot of abuses that go on. Thousands of people try to fight for these things to get it back, but many other people give up because they think it's just going to be an impossible task uh, proving to a bureaucracy that they made a mistake. And in, in many, many of these cases, uh, someone may be about to execute some sort of business transaction, a legitimate business transaction, and conducting that transaction in cash. And just the presence of that much cash often leads to uh, forfeiture. That's right. There's been so many uh, cases that uh, reporters have been able to find. Uh, the Orlando Sentinel did a big series. The Washington Post here in town did a big series back in the fall showing people uh, about to conduct uh, a business transaction, maybe buy a used car or some other, uh, buy a, uh, some land or somebody else's property, a boat or something. So they've got a lot of cash in their car car when they happen to be pulled over by the police and the, they, they explain to the policeman what they're doing with it and the policeman just chooses not to believe them, seizes the money. They might get it back after a few years, but in the meantime, um, they're out of that money. They may have lost a, a huge business opportunity uh, and their lives are disrupted and it, it happens way more often than the average person uh, believes. So if this is step one at the federal level, what is step two? Step two, I think, is for Congress not to simply accept this order from Holder. They should uh, basically write Holder's executive order uh, into legislation so another attorney general uh, in three years cannot reverse it with the stroke of a pen. We need this written into the law, and we need to go even further to change the federal laws about uh, the powers that allow all the federal agencies like the FBI and the DEA uh, to conduct seizures. But most of the seizures do take place at the state and local level. We've got 50 states and we've got about 18,000 law enforcement agencies spread out across the country that are doing most of the seizing on highways around the country. So our state laws definitely need to be uh, reform so that the burden of proof is not on property owners to prove their innocence. Um, it really is a turn some of our constitutional principles upside down and inside out. Now, this comes not long after uh, some members of Congress, including uh, Charles Grassley of Iowa, Mike Lee of Utah, James Sensenbrenner of Wisconsin, and John Conyers of Michigan, asked Eric Holder to end this equitable sharing. But of course, years ago uh, in association with the Cato Institute, uh, Henry Hyde of Illinois wrote a book, uh, I believe, Forfeiting Our Property Rights, which dealt with this issue and got some measure of reform there. Right. Where there was a reform piece of legislation spearheaded by Henry Hyde uh, in the year 2000, at that time, the Department of Justice and the law enforcement community fought that legislation very hard, and they got some pieces uh, removed from that legislation before it was finally enacted. Um, now is the time to go back and to reform these laws even further. I mean, ideally, we would do away with civil asset forfeiture law and just have the criminal process, you know, where if the government is able to persuade a court that somebody has, you know, been convicted of a crime and that uh, he was able, 
you know, the, the, the millions of dollars in his bank account doesn't belong to him, he got it through theft, then that is the appropriate place for, for forfeiture. But uh, the civil asset forfeiture laws give the police way too much power to seize people's property. And we need the Congress to adopt and reform federal law. And we need state legislators and governors changing the laws at the local level. Tim Lynch is director of the Cato Institute's Project on Criminal Justice. You can read more on civil asset forfeiture at our website, cato.org.